Hi, this is Elise Wakerman, and I have the pleasure this afternoon to be speaking to um, Rabbi Chaim Dov Beliak. He is the uh, executive director of Beit Polska, which is the umbrella organization of the progressive Jews in Poland that now includes how many groups are there? Well, we have three uh, congregations and seven Havarot. Okay, could you explain Havarot? Sure. Uh, Havara is not quite the minimum number we need for a congregation, uh, but these are um, communities in various cities where we're developing the communities, and we don't have quite the uh, resources to develop the congregations uh, fully, uh, but people are meeting occasionally and having uh, opportunities to study Judaism. So uh, the three uh, congregations are in uh, a suburb of Warsaw called Konstantin, in Warsaw itself, and also in Gdansk, which is in the northern part of Poland. Okay, so what about, uh, isn't there a new, there's a new rabbi, is that right? Um, We are very privileged to have uh, a wonderful new rabbi. His name is Boris Dolin, D-O-L-I-N, who has uh just come to us from a congregation in um, Oregon. And uh, he he speaks um, Russian and is doing quite amazing in learning Polish. Uh, in fact, he has uh, given as much as five minutes of his sermons in what people describe to me as correct and understandable Polish. So it's been wow. quite so, a wonderful. And, yes. And he's he's centered in Warsaw, so he's at Beit Warsawa. He's at um, our mother congregation, uh, Beit Warsawa, and uh, he's come to Poland with um, three lovely yo- younger children and his wife. And uh, they've had a wonderful first month getting acquainted to Warsaw and uh, all the challenges of a new place and new schools and everything. Well, I will look very much forward to meeting him because, as you know, uh, Jeff and I are headed for Poland in November. And perhaps I should just explain for the listeners that um, as part of my research for a novel that uh, has come out recently called A Tale of Two Citizens. Um, part of the novel takes place in Poland, so I did quite a bit of research about that country. And uh, it, the novel is basically about a, a man, a young man, who leaves Poland to come to the United States, which was not an uncommon thing to do in the 1920s, uh, which is when he does it. And we meet him just as he's about to embark for the United States, and he finds out that his girlfriend is pregnant, and so he marries her. And unfortunately, his visa claims, truthfully, for when he filled it out, that he's unmarried, and the only way he can get into the United States is as an unmarried minor. Um, So he doesn't change the visa because that's the only way he could get in. So basically, the minute... He enters the country, he's a criminal because he's, Jesus says he is unmarried, and in fact, he is married. So I uh, go in the novel between the United States and uh, specifically New York and Poland uh, because we stay in touch with his wife and also with his, his family. And um, 
So my understanding of Poland, especially pre-World War II and World War II, that it was that it wasn't a particularly friendly place for Jewish people, even though it did prior to that time have been a burgeoning Jewish cultural scene. And, of course, Jews have been... Right. Uh, I've uh, had the, the privilege of reading the novel, so I'm very familiar with it. I love the novel. Thank you very much for writing it. Um, and it, the, one of the things the novel captured, for me anyway, was what was the story of people who tried to, to leave um, in the 1920s and 30s, and um, what, was the, what were the challenges, especially coming to a place uh, like the United States, and what did it mean to leave what was um, a known culture, even though it was a culture like many segments of Poland at that time under siege. Um, uh, certainly there was um, anti-Semitism in Poland uh, in the 1920s and 30s, um, but um, anti-Semitism in a sense pales in comparison to what happened when the Nazis uh, occupied uh, Poland in 1939 and began to dismantle the Polish state and the, the Polish uh, uh, intellectual class, as well as beginning to destroy uh, the Jewish uh, people that were living in Poland. So uh, the novel, in a sense, fills that gap between uh, what lots of people know about, which is World War II, and the very interesting and important uh, burgeoning culture, as you that's the term you used, of uh, Jews um, all over Poland. Uh, our progressive community, by the way, is really a product of that uh, development that um, uh, in the time that Poland was independent, let's say from 1918 to 1939, the um, space of about uh, 20 years or so, that uh, culture in um, uh, Poland began to flourish the progressive uh, Jewish culture uh, alongside of um, other aspects of Polish culture such as uh, the Bundes groups which were basically socialist groups the uh, Zionist groups the uh, Yiddishist groups the Jewish theater um, the Hasidic groups of all sorts um, the Orthodox groups there was a uh, irony here that at the same time that there was a lot of anti-Semitism, there was also a great flourishing of all these cultures that are really the basis on which all of American and all of Israeli culture uh, is built. All of American culture. Could you explain that? Well, um, about 70% of Jews in America um, trace their roots back to the Polish lands and um, the Jewish culture that is the inheritance of that 70% um, uh, really is directly from Poland. Um, and I that, see. So you mean American Jewish culture? American Jewish culture, yes. Right, right, right. Yes. Okay. okay. It's funny because as yeah, you I, describe it, it brings to mind when you say you know, it, it did. It has this huge, the Jewish um, intellect and art had such an uh, out-of-proportion influence on the country of Poland. 
And I always think, and probably on the country of uh, America, as it were, you know, when you think of all the TV shows and um, um, you know, books, you know, Jews probably just proportionately contribute uh, to our culture. But whenever I think about the 10% of Jews that made up Polish culture pre-World War II and the enormous, not only artistic and cultural influence, but political as you said, I mean, they were really kind of stirring up trouble, and uh, or at least rebellion. Um, and I always think of the African American culture here in the United States. When you mentioned the irony that at the same time that God knows there, uh, you know, so many black people are misunderstood, mistreated, and um, you know, uh, abused and harassed certainly. Mm -hmm. At the same time, uh, they give us so much, right, in terms of music, in terms of writing, in terms of even dress and style. And it's very similar in terms of the numbers and in terms of the kind of um, um, ambivalence, you know, of the larger culture. Right. Well, uh, Polish culture, um, Polish-Jewish culture uh, was uh, in the middle of um, a renaissance uh, that had begun um, in the 19th and 20th century. And then with the arrival of Polish independence, um, Jews for the first time found themselves um, in the new Polish state. There had not been a Polish state for, for a very long time, since the uh, nine, uh, 1790s. And um, that... Um, a sense of being part of a new nation state um, was part of the crucible in which uh, Jews uh, faced uh, anti-Semitism because the anti-Semitism of Poles in the 19th century was largely um, based on a sense of trying to hold on to a nation that was falling apart, that was occupied by the Russians, the Austro-Hungarian Empire, the German Empire, and so uh, there was um, uh, a desperation on the Polish side and uh, another kind of desperation on the Jewish side because uh, Jews didn't know whether they should try to connect with one of the occupying powers or with the indigenous Poles. Um, plus, there were other ethnic groups. There were uh, Ruthenians today called Ukrainians. There are uh, Belarusians, um, um, you know, the the whole eastern uh, provinces were in a turmoil throughout the 19th and 20th century. Um, and of course, uh, Jews were in the center of that. I wouldn't say that Jews were in rebellion. I would say uh, about a third of the Jews wanted to stay in Poland and to make a life. Uh, a third wanted to uh, go to uh, Palestine or um, um, uh, Israel. And another third just wanted to go anywhere they could. Um, and uh, the, the states kept moving back and forth. Uh, sometimes it seemed like Poland would be the place to stay and build a, a life. I mean, the Polish film industry, just to pick, take one part of the arts, uh, was really the foundation of um, the Jews that came to Hollywood and uh-huh. uh, uh, founded uh, those uh, film industries uh, that was largely centered in 
what was the first Polish industrial town, and that was uh, Lodz, or Łódź, as uh, it's pronounced in Polish, uh, where uh, there was a tremendous film school and a tremendous um, uh, effort at uh, artistic development. Um, right, and, uh, quite um, a body of, those... of work, yeah. Yes, yeah. Um, and, and But when I said rebellion, they were very politically, a certain third of a certain portion were very politically active, talking about socialism and communism, and when you mentioned the Bundists, so I think that that was stirring up trouble in the sense of not wanting to stay with the status quo and wanting, encouraging people to be more politically astute. Um, and in this, ironically, again, because there is so much irony, isn't there? Um, you know, were the Jews who came to America found themselves largely blamed for bringing in this kind of philosophy that workers should be paid decent wages and, you know, that kind of thing. So it's interesting that, um, you know, it, the Jews have always been a handy scapegoat. And um, would you uh, disagree with that? Well, I think they they were. Um, uh, I think that the specifics of what happened in Poland are more interesting than the generalization. Just to take one example, um, Piłsudski, who was the founder of the Polish nation uh, after World War One, mm-hmm. was a colleague of most Jews, and the Jewish socialist group and the Polish socialist group were actually allies um, right up until 1935 when Piłsudski uh, passed away. Um, so from a certain standpoint, uh, Jews had made an alliance with this uh, socialist um, uh, general uh, who was trying to develop Poland um, for um, certainly Poles and also for Jews um, and was trying to deal with the uh, tenuous nature of Polish society. 60% of the Polish society was ethnically Polish between World War I and World War II. And 40% of the culture was something else, which was of, made it Poland a very unstable, multi-ethnic um, society. And that contributed uh, to the anti-Semitism um, uh, because Polish nationalism at that time couldn't conceive of itself as being multi-ethnic. It was quite a challenge. Um, yeah. And yeah. part of what I think, uh, despite all that, um, you know, you had the incredible flourishing of Jewish theater in, in, in Polish cities like Vilna, Bialystok, Warsaw, um, Lvov, um, or Lviv today. Um, these were Polish cities that had um, tremendous um, uh, cultural uh, uh, activity. You could uh, go from one theater uh, town to another and see plays and musicals um and that's just to talk about the the theater world um that was so much a part of um Poland in fact we're just now seeing a wonderful uh, book um that uh, is uh, important to mention by Na- Na- by Na- Naama Sandro being translated into Polish um and it is a book that is uh, celebrating uh, Jewish theater um, mm-hmm. and um, 
the contribution of Jews to uh, theater in general uh, in Poland. Um, you know, it was it first published in English and now Polish. The, act, the, um, the activity, the participation of Jews in the um, entertainment arts has always struck me uh, because when you think about it, Hollywood was really created by Eastern European Jews. And the whole right. idealization of Main Street and white picket fence and, of course, um, Gentile princess and it was all created by Jewish men. Interesting. It was right. kind of, kind of their, you know, fantasy, and apparently it was very um, contagious. You know, people were very responsive to it, and so these these guys from you know Gdansk and Labudsk and Minsk and Schminsk, all they came over <laughs> here, and it was their imaginations that created the American ideal of you know uh, all the wa- and. Obviously, there was a very receptive audience for it because right. you mentioned the, the discomfort that Poland had with its ethnic populations. I mean, it's unbelievable that the United States, as we see on this very day, has a lot of discomfort with its ethnic populations, and yet it is made up of its ethnic populations. That's, that's, what, it's, that's what it is. It's practically its definition that it is a land right. of many peoples, you know, and right. uh, there, are, there are just some that cannot um, cannot abide by that. They just can't accept it, and so they are going to take America back, and I always want to ask, from whom, <laughs> right? Um, right, right. So, um, but, you know, I wanted to also mention, Rabbi, that it's so, uh, I guess it was fated, but when I finished the book, um, the novel, A Tale of Two Citizens, um, I was really under the impression and had read several novels written by Poles, Gentile Poles, um, discussing the fact that they really missed the Jews among them, that they felt that the Jews were, you know, such an integral part of their culture. And, and that's kind of what started me thinking that it was very similar to the African American. You know, can you imagine if suddenly, like ninety percent of the African American population was no longer here, and that's pretty much that's what happened. You know, oh, of course, God yeah. forbid. Um, and yeah. the, so that the Jewish population in one novel I read was described as a phantom limb. You know, it was that you were always right. aware of it, and that the absence of it was something that you felt physically and viscerally. And um, so I was very surprised when I was uh, somewhere on campus at Cal State Northridge where I was teaching English to learn that the chief rabbi of Poland was coming to speak. And I thought, there's a chief rabbi of Poland? (laughs) I didn't know that there was a Jewish population in Poland anymore. I thought it was absolutely gone. Um, because uh, certainly my relatives only speak of it very negatively, the ones who survived and are still here. And um, I just thought that was the kind of um, going understanding, the, the uh, you know, universal um, perception of Poland as a place where Jews used to live and would never in a million years 
want to live there again. So lo and behold, I hear there's a chief rabbi, and it was I went to his talk. I was very impressed, and you know that's when I became terribly interested. Now that the novel was more or less done in present day Poland, and that's how I came to meet you. And of course, you have a very different take from my relatives and from what is. I mean, what percentage? Let, let me just say for those who are listening that there's a really dramatic divide, I believe, between Jews who think that Poland is a place that you should never even think about going to again, that it is indeed a cemetery of the Jews, and the other 50% of people, and I'm giving it a very loose percentage, who believe that without Poland, we would no longer exist. Um, I know you have strong feelings about this, so I'd love to hear what you have to say. Yeah. Well, uh, first of all, there are two classic uh, communities that preserved Jewish life and allowed us to flourish, and that is the Poland of the Middle Ages. Uh, that's where we ran to for refuge. And Poland, on the whole, was a place where Jews were among the most privileged of peoples in what was a very difficult neighborhood. All of Europe was insecure, and Jews managed uh, to deal with anti-Semitism and um, anti-Jewish feelings and managed to actually flourish in Poland. Um, uh, The new museum that uh, I hope you'll get a chance to see when you're in Poland really portrays the thousand years of Jewish civilization, and that in some ways is um, very important. I would just mention that Turkey is the other place where Jews ran uh, for refuge, and probably the other uh, 30% of today's Jewish population was at one time or another. Um, Most of them were under the influence or in the protection of the Turkish Empire, Mm. uh, the Ottoman Empire. So um, these two um, groups um, had various policies over many years, but in Poland, um, Jews managed uh, to develop the, the center of the, the rabbinic culture, the, the development of most of the important legal codes, um, the development of the um, Hasidic movement. And I would argue, um, contrary to what many historians have understood, that Poland was one of the main centers of non-Orthodox Judaism, progressive Judaism. Uh, it's customary to think of progressive Judaism as a product of Germany, But in fact, um, the second um, Reform Synagogue was founded in Warsaw. And in terms of sheer numbers, the Jews of Poland numbered the the most numerous uh, group of Jews that were part of non-Orthodox Jewish life. Mm -hmm. Pre-World War II, there were uh, some 300,000 Jews that were members of progressive synagogues in Poland, 40 major synagogues, um, all of the beautiful synagogues that were pre-World War II um, uh, were uh, progressive, and um, they they were the, the culture standard of, of Poland. Um, the truth is that had their Nazis not attacked, Poland probably would have developed much like America developed except that um, most of what we think of as 
the developments that took place here in America, the film industry, Google, uh, much of the computer industry, the advances in medicine, would have happened not in America, but in Poland. Is that and what you it, really it's think? Interesting. You really think oh, yeah. so? I, uh, hmm. Yeah. Had the, had the Nazis not attacked, um, Poland probably would have come to terms with its anti-Semitism, would have um, found a place for Jews. Remember that there was tremendous anti-Semitism here in America, and um, it is not um, inconceivable that if we imagine alternative futures, um, the difference between what Poland is today and what America is today would have been reversed. And that tremendous energy of people that would have uh, been the scientists of um, Europe um, and been the filmmakers and the cultural leaders would have been something that happened on Polish soil. Soil. So we, we, we need to focus not so much on what Poles felt about Jews, because most Poles pre-World War II understood anti-Semitism to be a natural part of the natural order. And that was true for most Americans uh, pre-World War II as well. Uh, there are very few people that, in America that opposed anti-Semitism uh, pre-World War II. Um, and um, that, in fact, is something that you encounter in in your book. Um, you know, here's a person who, um, the I would say the anti-hero of your book, well, uh, the, the fellow who is concerned about immigration laws being followed to the letter and is willing to hound someone um, uh, to uh, have them thrown out of the country on what everyone must understand as a technicality, um, that um, that kind of anti-Semitism was a part of America and it was part of Poland. And I think it's important to distinguish between normal anti-Semitism, which is horrible and vicious, and what the Nazis brought um, into Poland. Um, that is, all of the death camps were in Poland um, and all of the Jews that were killed were killed uh, on Polish or Ukrainian uh, soil. Um, of course, other countries had places with it where they killed, but the vast, vast majority of Jews during the Nazi occupation of Poland, Ukraine, and other parts of Europe um, died um, um, not because of anything the Poles did, but because of what the Nazis did. In fact, the Poles themselves were uh, very much victims of the Nazis um, in this in a way that is not entirely dissimilar to what happened in the Jews. Um, hundreds of thousands of the Polish intellectuals, priests, doctors, and lawyers that were not Jewish were killed by the Nazis. In fact, they were killed first, and then uh, the Nazis began to kill Jews. The Nazis didn't begin to kill Jews until March of 41, and by that time, um, several hundred thousand Poles had been killed in the 18-month uh, period from September of 39 to uh, March of 41. Um, and, and it's hard for people to appreciate this, but a relatively small number of Jews were killed by Nazis in that same period, 39 to 41, uh, March 41. Um, and it... it 
if the war had ended in June 1921, which is the date on which um, Germany attacked its ally, um, the Soviet Union, uh, you would have had to ask the question something like this. Um, it's true that Hitler is an anti-Semite and he hates the Jews, but his real um, focus uh, for his fury must be the Poles and the Polish intellectuals and everyone that has more than an eighth grade education. Um, well, I haven't read Mein Kampf, but my guess is mm-hmm. that Jews are much more maligned in that book, and the final solution had much more to do with Jews and Poles, and we do know that millions of Jews were killed as opposed to Poles, and if you think that Poland, I mean, this is really a startling assertion, that Poland would have been what America is in terms of the arts and the sciences, why weren't people flocking to Poland to start Hollywood and open labs and I mean why were there so many people from the 19th century on that wanted to come to America lots of people were leaving Eastern Europe um, from night from 1881 on mm-hmm. and they fled to America South America wherever they could go um, but mm-hmm. Poland um, once it re- it constituted itself in 1918 remember that um, most of the Jews who left, left between 1881 and 1926. Um, but large, large numbers of Jews stayed in Poland in the 1920s before the restrictive laws um, began that would not allow Jews to go um, to different places in Europe and to emigrate to America. Um, and they were, they did that because uh, there was the hope that there would be the opportunities um, that had been promised by the Treaty of Versailles. Um, and uh, uh, yes, uh, in the, the end, um, there was a desire to leave Poland, and especially after uh, Pilsudski's death in 1935, there was a tremendous um, upsurge of anti-Semitism. But again, I emphasize, um, as terrible as anti-Semitism is, um, one cannot compare it to the uh, far greater, uh, more pernicious and organized, vicious um, uh, murder of Jews by the Nazis and their allies. And Poland was not an ally of the Nazis. Uh, Poland was attacked by uh, the Nazi Germans and their allies. And so it's very important to keep this straight. Were there Jews that were killed in Poland by Poles during World War II? Yes. Unfortunately, that's true. But the numbers are are relatively small. I know it's hard for people to hear that because every life is precious. Um, and the Poles um, may have wanted um, Jews out of the way, but the idea that they would organize something like what the Nazis and their allies did is inconceivable. Um, it's you know part of this is to understand that after the German Nazis, there were the Austrian Nazis, and then the largest number of people that served in the Nazi army and were involved in um, helping the Nazis were the French, and after the French, uh, there were uh, large groups of 
Ukrainians and um, large groups of Romanians and Hungarians that actually were involved in the killing of Jews um, in the as part of the Nazi machine. So I mean, so you, um, the people that were working in the death camps in Poland were the vast majority of them were French. Uh, the vast majority were Ukrainian in this instance, um, uh, with German officers, um, there, and um, a large number of uh, Belarus um, uh, people as well. I mean, just to give you one example, uh, there were about 300,000 Jews in Lithuania, and the Lithuanians killed the Jews of their country before the Germans even got organized. The Germans were appalled at what the Lithuanians had done, and um, Lithuania was considered a country that was virtually free of anti-Semitism before 1939. Um, and uh, this was facilitated by the Nazis. Uh, the Romanians, the same kind of thing. The Romanians um, killed their Jews without the help of the Nazis. And the people in the death camps that ran the actual camps that turned on the gas, that uh, men in the administrative parts of the camp were largely Nazis and their Ukrainian uh, allies. Okay, but you made a statement about right, but but you made a statement about the French. So I'm just uh... yeah, the, the French French served in the uh, military, um, and the, military. Uh, the researchers in the Nazi military, and the Nazi military was not what has been put forward by historians that it was just a fighting force. The Nazi military um, uh, participated in the direct shooting of uh, Jews, what's called murder by bullets as opposed to by gas, mm -hmm. which was the fate of most Jews. Uh, most Jews were not killed by gas. They were killed either by starvation and by, by direct sh uh, shooting, in which the, the militaries of the, the French and other uh, participated directly. We don't know the exact numbers, but they were participants. And um, um, the, the historical work is yet being unraveled by that. But um, if you um, think about what we now understand, the, the, the Holocaust by bullets um, was the, the direct result of the Nazis, the Ukrainians, and, and their allies. And the French were very prominent in that. The, okay. the highly vaunted idea... The highly vaunted idea that the French were in the resistance is in many ways um, almost a joke um, because the French um, began the resistance five minutes before the Allies arrived. Um, there was complete uh, collapse of France. And France is, in many ways, uh, had difficulty coming to, ter to terms with, with that history of France. So you think, I mean, I won't go into it because you said that <laughs> the, the majority of Nazi military were French, is what you said. So that No, no, I, I didn't say that. The, 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 I, what I said, maybe I, maybe I misspoke. <laughs> the majority of the, the, um, the third largest group to serve in Nazi uniforms were the French. Were the French. That's what I said. Um, um, so, at, you know, after this conversation, I don't think any of us should ever step foot anywhere. Certainly the United States is just as culpable and France. And uh, I don't know anyone planning to go to Lithuania, so they're, they're safe. But um, obviously, 
you have very strong feelings and have educated me enormously about the affinity between Jews and Poles and the place of Poland and the large population that was there for a thousand years and that now, amazingly to me, is resurging. And that's what you have a very active part in. And uh, it's just interesting to me that, um, you know, for me that I came to this through the research on the novel. I did love, I did actually visit Poland as uh, part of wanting the novel to feel authentic. And, you know, as I think I've mentioned before, I like to know what a place smells like when I'm going to write about it. And I took some leaves. <laughs> I took some leaves from uh, in front of uh, the household where my father grew up. And I swear it's mm-hmm. in a pocket folder, not very you know elaborately protected or anything. These leaves. And when I open that folder and inhale, I'm there. It's just amazing. <laughs> I think it was a cottonwood tree. Um, so it's just, as I said, I was very surprised that this uh, resurgence is happening. It's very active. and uh, Yes, and w- w- I think it's worth saying something about what the resurgence is about. Mm-hmm. It, in some ways, it is uh, nostalgia. Um, it is uh, the fact that in large parts of Polish society, there's um, only a vague memory of Jews, it's been 70 years since there were Jews. And um, some of the nostalgia is the result of people um, who, in the last minute of their um, life, confessed that they had uh, raised their children not to know anything about Judaism, and they want their children and grandchildren to at least know something about Judaism. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of people like that. We estimate that there are between 100 and 200,000 people with a Jewish grandparent in Poland uh, Mm -hmm. alive today. Um, And that, to us, is um, part of what I think is a Jewish duty to um, embrace uh, these people if they want to be embraced, uh, to inform them about Judaism, which, um, if they're interested, that's wonderful. Um, But we have a, a second role, and that is that there is a curiosity on the part of Poles about Jews and Judaism. And they, Polish non-Jews who have no intention of embracing Judaism, are a big part of um, our world um, because they come, they're interested, they're curious, um, and um, they're part of what I would call um, a shift in Polish consciousness. Certainly not all of Poland. Um, I think... John Paul II, for the ambivalent feelings that many people have about his uh, um, other record, was um, the patron saint of uh, Jewish uh, Catholic rapprochement. And um, there is a, 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 good, a profound sense of goodwill that is a result of um, John Paul II's uh, legacy uh, on uh where the church is trying to go um, uh, and where it, it, it still has a struggle within itself um, to um, embrace um, uh, its shadow side as well as its positive side. Right. And, you um, know what? Yeah. 
when Francis was here last week, and of course I'm very indebted to Francis because he got the name Trump off the news for like hours at a time, so it was really good. <laughs> but, it was really, um, but he, you know, at times he would he would make a gesture that I would just sound so profound, where he would he would tell everyone. You know, like when I, he would be standing in front of like a million people and say, please pray for me. And if you don't pray, if you're someone who doesn't believe, please just send me a good wish. And I just love that. <laughs> you know, that he was acknowledging yes. um, that many, many people may not feel they have a direct line to God, but he doesn't leave us out. And I'll include myself in that. Um and and you know that's a big acknowledgement from a person of his religious stature. But then, right. but then, the following day or activity, he would be speaking at a, a, a school or some other institution, and he would talk about joy and how we all must seek joy, and wherever there is joy, there is Jesus. Hmm. So right. it didn't make me very joyful, you know. So it's like <laughs> you just kind of hear the same. The same person can say the same, you know, coming out of the same lips. Very, very different things. I believe he's absolutely uh, genuine in both of his uh, statements. But I guess as individuals, we just have to straighten it all out for ourselves. Well, I am. With you, in <laughs> what I would say is um, seeing the multiple faces of the Catholic Church and the multiple ways in which this prison pope is in some ways the heir of John Paul II, because mm-hmm. John Paul II was the first multimedia pope who understood the media and understood yeah. the need to reach out to people. Um, mm-hmm. And um, I would rather have. Um, um, some narrow connection it's not as broad as some would like um, to this very large and important faith um, and I will continue like most Jews like most people in the world to think of the work that he is proposing with climate change and um, uh, you know a sense of um, real compassion for people uh, as his legacy. And um, I will also think of the fact that there are many, many areas where I'm frankly uncomfortable and even offended by uh, the Catholic message. Um, But um, better that than just one uh, stern face of um, disdain, which of course, you think of the church of the 1920s and you think of the church of um, the uh, 1880s, um, uh, it was the fertile ground for one of our topics, uh, Polish anti-Semitism. Mm-hmm. Um, it fostered oh my goodness, it. that's right. Because Poland is so Catholic, right? Yes. Um, yeah. uh, Poland is very resolutely Catholic, even for those people who are culturally Catholic. Um, their cultural Catholicism goes hand in hand with their nationalism, and um, um, so that co- that combination of religion and nationalism is very dangerous, as you know. Catholics have seen, as Protestants have seen, and certainly we see 
uh, as Jews as well. Absolutely. And, <clears throat> I mean, that's, um, you know, it kind of brings me around to the idea of feeling the same, feeling for, uh, for the same person very different emotions and feeling for the same country very different emotions. And I think that's one of the reasons that I wanted to, you know, when I told the story of this immigrant, I also wanted to tell the story of the immigration official. I think it's just endlessly um, fascinating and liberating to try to see things from as many angles as we can. And it's certainly what... Which is one of the great contributions of your novel, (laughs) exactly that. Um, that it would be easy uh, to think one thing, but a good novelist, and that includes you and this this novel, um, means that you've made it complicated for us, um, and you've made it uh, interesting, and um, uh, you walk away from um, your novel um, having um, a new world opened um, because it's so easy for people to say, Oh, they're all this, they're all that. And we're through, we don't have to think anymore. Uh, and that's not what your novel does. It really opens up, um, many things. I frankly, for me, as a child of people who came after world war II, um, I thought that all the suffering had been during world war II and after. <laughs> and then your novel helps me to appreciate how, much people struggled uh, who wanted a better life, who wanted to come to America, and how that opposition, uh, that uh, um, immigration official and people like him were so much a part of things that um, should not be overlooked, that should be understood uh, for what they were. Right. It's kind Um, of, uh, as as we both said earlier, it really is the paradox of this country that continues to this day. And, uh, you know, the the, um, kind of negative attitude towards people who are trying to come here and make it a better place. So, uh, but we fight on, we work on and struggle on. And um, hopefully... I think we're about to have the... One of the things of moment about your novel is that we're about to engage again in the questions of um, what it means for people to be struggling for their very life. And for us to have the ability to help and even embrace um, more than we have, um, mm-hmm. you know, we're all in favor of Germans embracing uh, the new immigrants that are coming from Syria. Um, yet our embrace of people coming from Central and South America, uh, Mexico, in mm-hmm. this country, is uh, where well, I would say we have a peculiar posture. Um, uh, around those issues, and um, uh, we, that is to be that the, is for sure. Yeah, it is. But you know, I guess it's a constant struggle that uh, the better angels of this country, you know, we hope will prevail. And um, I hope so. It's a tough thing. It's a very, very tough thing that this country has tried to do, and that's why I think we see so much ugliness. Um, but uh, I, I don't know of any other land that has integrated so many different cultures, and that's why it gives yes. me hope. You know, 
So anyway, I want to thank it's, you for too. being one of the first people to read A Tale of Two Citizens even before it was published and for giving it your imprimatur and for all the good work that you do. Um, thank you thank very you. much. Thank you for the Okay, thanks so much. Bye-bye.